Let us pray. Again, our Father, we come before You in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that without Him, we are nothing. That You loved us and gave us to Christ before the world was is indeed astounding. There's nothing that we can see in ourselves that would cause you to set your love upon us. All we can say is even so, Father, so it seemed good in Your sight. And I pray that You would bless us to be sanctified with the right Spirit to give You the honor and the praise that is justly due to Your name, not only for our salvation, but for who You are in Your being. It's one thing to be thankful because You have delivered us, It's another thing to rejoice, honor you, delight in your providential dealings, live in obedience to your word. Seek to overcome the world and the devil as well as sin that resides within us. Just be for who you are. Not for any personal gain. And I would ask that you would help us to cultivate such a spirit more and more. We thank You for not only giving us Your Word, but preserving it for us. And while there is an onslaught of enemies that seek to destroy the Holy Scriptures, cause confusion on every hand, 
help us to seek to know, defend, love, and contend for the truth of the Scriptures. One of the most verses attacked in the Holy Scriptures is found in this little epistle that we have been studying. And thankfully, even though there has been an onslaught of professed scholars that have sought to rip this passage from the Holy Scriptures, it still abides. And we are confident that it is part of the truth of your word. Help us when we get to that passage to make a defense that is proper. And yet, we do not have to defend you. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess at the appointed time. The more we see it in this world, the how greatly we delight. But ultimately, all will. Help us now as we look into Your Word. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. We're still in studying 1 John, and we're in chapter 4, and we have been looking at uh, passages there in verses 4 through 6, and uh, we are ready to take up uh, verse 6 today. But I want to read the verses again, the verses 4 through 6. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Now we'll stop and uh, reiterate a point that we think is very vital. Notice that it does not say that we have overcome them because we are greater than he that is in the world. But it's the one that is in us, the Holy Spirit, that is greater. In other words, uh, we can do nothing without God. We can't overcome. But by God working in us to will and to do of His good pleasure, we do overcome. And I need to hurry on lest I 
try to re-preach that. <laughs> they are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now if there's anything that, of course there's many things that could be uh, emphasized in this, but notice in verse 4, ye are of God. Didn't say you ought to be. Didn't say we hope you are. Ye are of God. Verse 5, they are of the world. Verse 6, we are of God. Notice the certainty of these verses. The certainty of these verses. Too often, we, I'm guessing, because of our lack of faith, or our uh, just sinfulness overall would have the idea, well, I just hope I'm one of the Lord's. And we use that word hope in our English ideology or meaning and not in the scriptural meaning of it. In other words, well, uh, I'd like to think so, but I'm not so certain about it. But John says that the believer is of God. He's talking about little children, which is the, as we noted, is the designation of all of God's children. And we won't reiterate, uh, go over that again. But we are of God. Not only is John declaring that He Himself is of God, but He includes all of the believers. The believers are of God. And like I said, it's not that we desire to be of God. It's not that we wish we were of God. But we are not like the world. We are not like the world. And it should be evident as we live out our lives upon this earth that we are not like the world. Now we still have worldliness in us, but our desire is to live apart from the world. And we do not agree with the philosophy of the world. Let's look in, we could look at many passages of Scripture, but we'll try to keep it as briefly as I know how. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a know how, but I'll try to make it brief. But anyway, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two. 
I'm going to actually back up and start in the first verse. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. In other words, Paul did not try to use a lot of philosophical language with abstract ideas and opinions or even with concrete philosophy. He didn't try to use uh, a means of oratory, persuasion. It reminds me of of uh, John Jasper. John Jasper was a uh, black man that lived in the 1800s, and his master uh, set him free so he could be uh, go around and preach the gospel. And John Jasper, one of his sermons was, uh, the, the sun do move. In other words, he was, contra- he was uh, preaching against the idea that the earth revolves around the sun, but that the sun is the one that does the moving and, and not the earth. And uh, because the Bible says that the sun comes up and the sun goes down and, and so on and so forth, and uh, uh, there is, and I, I know by what I'm going to say, some people are going to think that I've gone off the deep end, but uh, there is uh, uh, some evidence or credence to support that view, though the consensus is that everything revolves around the sun. But we'll have to uh, uh, wait till the Lord comes to find out uh, how all of that uh, purports to be. But anyway, he uh, he preached his sermon, and uh, there was a newspaper man that went to here, John Jasper preached his sermon, his famous sermon, The Sun to Move. And the newspaper man was of the persuasion that the, uh, the earth revolves around the sun and not the sun revolving around the earth. And uh, when John Jasper got through, he had everyone to raise their hand to vote if they agreed with him. And the newspaper man said that John Jasper's way of preaching and persuasion and how he had the crowd all work together was that even though he didn't agree with John Jasper, he couldn't help but raise his hand in favor of Jasper anyway. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> But uh, I say that, it's kind of rather humorous, but I say that to say that there are people that have such uh, persuasion uh, 
in their speech. When I was in college, uh, one of the courses I took was speech. And uh, since I had broken my neck, I was exempt from uh, a PE. And so I had to take up some other courses to uh, in substitute of that. And one of them I thought was pretty easy was speech. And come find out what easy as I thought it was. But uh, I hadn't thought about that till just right now. It may be that was in the Lord's providence with me being a preacher. I don't know. But anyway, uh, during that course, uh, one evening, one of the television stations at that time, there were basically only three, and... Uh, You had to have the rabbit ears to get that. But anyway, uh, uh, we happened to to have a a television of some sort. It wasn't much of one. But anyway, uh, they were doing a documentary on Adolf Hitler. And the speech teacher asked that we watch that documentary and note part of his speech and how that he had a way of moving the masses with his speech. But they also, to, for a large part of it, to turn the sound down and just watch his mannerisms and his movements in such a way of how it would Persuade the crowd. Well, Paul didn't use anything like that. When he said, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now think about that for just a moment. Paul goes among these Greeks. In verse 1, he said that the Greeks sought after wisdom. But Paul just preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us in the first few verses there what the gospel is. He said that it was, <coughs> it was, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> got this catching in my throat. But Paul talked about the gospel and how that it was that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That was the gospel. You would think that Paul would try to 
use some Greek rhetoric or some logic in order to cause people to believe the gospel. We hear today people talking about apologetics and trying to present the gospel to the world in order to persuade the world of what the truth is and things of that nature. Well, Paul didn't use that. Verse 3. Well, I think I read verse 2. I'll read it again. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. If you remember in, I believe it's the 18th chapter of Acts, when Paul was at Corinth, he, he was going to leave. Because he, he just figured there's nobody there that were believers. And so he was going to leave and God told him not to leave because he had much people there. And Paul wound up staying a year and a half. But he was afraid for his life. And yet he preached the Bible. He preached what the Scriptures said. He didn't try to adapt the Bible to human logic. He preached Christ. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul said, I'm just preaching what the Bible says so that if you're one of His, the Spirit of God will work in your heart and soul by His power that you know that you are of God. That's what John was saying what we read in verses uh, 4, 5, and 6. Ye are of God. We are of God. They are of the world. Verse 6, 1 Corinthians 2. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, that is, mature. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes, of this world that come to naught. In other words, all of the worldly wisdom and all of the world, whether it's uh, philosophers, princes, uh, politicians, theologians, whatever, all of their wisdom is going to come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. 
By the way, that word ordained is the same word as translated predestinate in Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 1. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained, predestinated before the world unto our glory. You see, the the gospel is not an afterthought on God's part. The gospel is called the Proto-Evangelum in regard to what God told Eve and the serpent in the Garden of Eden, that the gospel was even there. But lest we digress too far, let's go on. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. Pilate didn't know the gospel. Herod didn't know the gospel. And yet both Pilate and Herod said that Christ had done nothing worthy of death. They knew that He was an innocent man. They killed Him anyway, had Him killed anyway to satisfy the people. See, there's nothing new. We have the same thing today. The high priest, the Sanhedrin council, the princes of the Jewish world, they didn't know who Christ was. If they had, they would not have crucified Him. It didn't matter whether He was guilty or innocent. It was a matter of political expediency. When uh, Annas said that it's better that He should die that he should perish, then the whole Jewish world should. They are of the world. They don't know us. We know something different. Verse 10. Now, verse, now let's read verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared, prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Children of God know something that the world doesn't know. And the only reason we know it is because God revealed it to us. It's not because we're any smarter. It's not because that we have less sins. It's not because of our 
status in life. God hath revealed it unto us. It didn't say God wrote the Bible and you've got to read it in order for it to be revealed unto you. Though I do believe that's part of it. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Spirit that is in a child of grace desires to know the deep things of God. And He seeks to know it. Some people more than others but there's still that general trend. And if you tell me there's somebody that's a child of grace and he doesn't want to read or study the Bible, uh, then I don't know what's going on there. That's not what the Scriptures say. Notice what it says. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit, when we're born again, we're born again by the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit in us. And the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. When John said, ye, we are of God, he's saying the same thing that Paul's saying here in, in 1 Corinthians. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man that's in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, we've received something, but we have not received the Spirit of the world. But the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the unregenerate, in other words, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now the reason the people of the world are following the things of the world, and they will not yield to the things of the, God, of the Scriptures, the things that the Scriptures say that just as plain as day, is simply because they're not of God. But he that is spiritual judgeth, or we might say here, 
He discerns all things, yet He Himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that He may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You say, well, how do I know I have the mind of Christ? Are you believing what the Bible says? Straight out. You say, well, there are some things I read in the Bible I don't understand. I didn't say, do you understand everything? But do you believe it? You, you say, I don't understand it, but I believe it. And you've heard me say this uh, many times, and I'll say it again. I don't understand Genesis 1.1. But I believe it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If there was nothing but God, and there was no matter, how did matter come into existence? God created it. Well, how did He do it? I don't know. We say by divine fiat. What does that mean? That means He spoke it into existence. Well, how did He do it? I don't know. You see, I, I don't have to know something to believe it. I don't have to understand it to believe it. Logically, that's the only way that it could be in, as far as I can understand. But it's not by logic. I believe it because God said it. Whether it's Genesis 1 1 or Revelation 22 21. A long time ago, I realized that I'm just a dumb old country boy and I don't have enough sense to say that something is to be. Uh, allegorized and something in the Old Testament is always talking about this, that, or the other. Unless God tells me what it's talking about, I don't know. Unless it's obvious according to the truth of the Word, I don't know. We are not like the world and we do not agree with the philosophy of the world. If 1 Corinthians chapter 2 doesn't teach that, I don't know what it does teach. That's what it said. So, well, it, 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 means, it means what it said. God didn't write it in hieroglyphics. He wrote it for us. He didn't write it for uh, the preacher to tell you what it, it means. He wrote it for all of God's children. Sometimes the preacher can tell you what it means simply because he may have more time to study it out than you do. 
But it's not because he's any uh, smarter. It's just because he believes what the Bible says. One of the greatest compliments. Well, I'm still. I'll, I'll go ahead and be a fool. One of the greatest compliments I ever got was two or three weeks ago. Someone wrote to me and said that they uh, been listening to some of my sermons uh, on sermon audio, and that they appreciated the fact that. Uh, if I didn't know something, I said I didn't know, and that I just tried to explain what is written as it is written and as it is said and not make up something. Because that's what I want to do. I want to teach what God's Word says. I think God meant what He said. I think God knows what He said. And He said it to us ignorant people that we might know. And then the only way we can know is that He has to open our eyes by giving us the new birth. And He does that for His children. He opens our eyes. And teaches us. That's what He said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It didn't say he opened our eyes so that we might open that we might know or that we might do it, but he said he does it. The Spirit searcheth all things. He didn't say he gave us the Spirit and then we have to use it, though we do have to use it. And they that know God hear the truth. That's what John said there in, in, in 1 John. He said, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2. I won't go back and read that. You can read it for yourself. But let's look in the Gospel of John. John chapter 8. Let's begin at verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me. That's a statement of a fact. If a person has been born again by God, they love Christ. He didn't say, if God were your Father, you ought to love me. He didn't say, if God were your Father, you might love me. He said, if God were your Father, ye would love me. 
That's just as true today as it was in the day of Christ. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. Sounds like what John said, is it not? Sounds like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, is it not? You say, well, that, that's something special. That's not... Who said it's something special? You did. God didn't. It's talking about either you know Christ or you don't. And if you do know Christ, you have eternal life. If you don't know Christ, you don't have eternal life. So, What makes you so sure about that? Well, hold your finger in John 8 and I'll turn to John 17. Verse 3. Well, let's read verse 2. As thou hast given Him, that is, as the Father has given Christ, power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given Him. In other words, Christ will give eternal life to all the elect. And this is life eternal. Now he's going to explain it. He's going to define it. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is knowing God in Christ. You say, well, that doesn't mean what he said. That means it means what he said. You see, you're trying to change the Word of God again. And what did Christ say in Revelation? Talked about anybody that adds to or takes away the Word of God, he's in bad shape. Back in John 8, Verse 43, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. He didn't say you will not, though they will not. But he said you cannot. You don't have the ability. You don't have the power to. You can talk until you're blue in the face to an unregenerate. And they won't know what you're talking about. They'll hear your words. They may understand the concepts. I believe it was in I believe it was a university in Ohio that I read about years ago. A teacher there in that university said that. He professed, he was professed atheist, but he said uh, that if he were to be a Christian, he would follow the philosophy of Calvinism because it was the only one that made sense. 
He knew the concepts. He knew the rationales. But he still wouldn't accept it. Like one of the atheists that made the statement that evolution was a mathematical impossibility and the only alternative was special creation. But that's unthinkable. You see, it's not that they don't know the concepts. They're just not going to refuse it. They're not going to believe it. They're not going to accept it. And it doesn't matter what you say. They will not be persuaded. They can't be persuaded. Verse 44, John 8. Ye are of your father the devil. The lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye will not ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? Now I read all the other to get to this verse. He that is of God heareth God's word words. Ye therefore hear them not because you're not of God. John 10. For time's sake, I'm going to just look at one verse. 27. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You say, well, I, I know somebody that's one, I believe, one of the Lord's sheep, but they're not following Him. How, you don't know that. You're just, you're just making that up on yourself. Jesus, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. You say, well, I, I don't know if that's right. Well, I believe Christ. You can make up something. You can believe something in your own mind. I'm going to believe he said he meant what he said. Say, well, everybody doesn't follow alike. He didn't say everybody would follow alike. He just said they follow him. John 14. Verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. The Spirit of truth the world doesn't see, the world doesn't know. But ye know him, 
for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Sounds just like what John was saying in his epistle. Look at John 18. Verse 37. Jesus talking to Pilate. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Are you a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. I don't see how it could be any plainer. Some say, oh, that means they'll hear his voice in the resurrection. It didn't say that. You've added to the word of God, you've thrown your spin on it instead of just bowing to what God said. Especially in light of all the other verses that we've talked about. In other words, He said, We are, 1 John 4, 6, We are of God. He that knoweth God Heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. No ifs, ands, or buts. Hereby know we. This is, in other words, it's by this that we know. We know what? Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What is the spirit of truth? That Jesus is the Christ. What is the spirit of error? We'll not hear God. We're not going to believe God. We're not going to believe His Word. By the way, we'll get to this verse Later on when we get to uh, 1 John 5, but look at 1 John 5.10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Mm. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Not believing what God said about Christ and what Christ said about Himself, you're saying, God, you're a liar. What does Revelation 21.8 say? All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Well, I've got to hurry on, but uh, I've got some 
quotes here I want to read. I'll read them quickly. This first one comes from a man by the name of Kenneth Wiest. He that knoweth, he's talking about that phrase, he that knoweth, is present tense, progressive action, speaking not of a complete knowledge, in other words, not somebody that knows everything, but he has a progressive knowledge, but a progressive experimental knowledge. It is the growing saint, notice that, the growing saint, to whom reference is made. And then he quotes a man by the name of Vincent. He who, hit, he who is habitually and evermore clearly perceiving and recognizing God as his, as his Christian life unfolds. The knowledge is regarded as progressive and not complete. In other words, it's a growing knowledge. John Gill, he that knoweth God not only as the God of nature and providence, but as in Christ, and that not only professionally, but practically, that has an experimental knowledge of Him, that knows Him as exercising loving kindness, having tasted of His grace and goodness, and knows Him so as to trust in Him and love Him, for such a knowledge of God is meant as has true real affection to Him joined with it, so that it is He that loves His name, His glory, His truths, and His ordinances. And then talking about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, I've got a couple of comments. Notice that it distinguishes between the difference of the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. What, di what distinguishes that is believing the truth of the gospel and knowing the true ministers from the false ones, according to the overall context of so far of chapter 4. It is revealing when someone follows those who teach heretical doctrines. Especially people that profess to be Christians and yet they follow heretical doctrines. That's quite revealing, I think. And then lastly, quoting Robert Candish. Let me simply, in closing, exhort you to consider well in what it is that your security lies when you are called to try the spirits. What it is that alone can give you certain and decisive victory over the false prophets. It is God being in you, abiding in you, giving you the spirit. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world in the church's world, in the worldly materials of which in too large a measure the church is composed. He's using church here as talking about religion, Christianity. Many false prophets are gone out into the world. The spirit of error as well as the spirit of truth is abroad. And it may be that shifting, trying, critical days are at hand. What is to be your protection? How are you to be prepared? Let me warn you that it is not head knowledge that will do. Not logic or rhetoric or philosophy or theology. 
not creeds or catechisms or confessions, not early training in the soundest manuals, not familiarity with the ablest and most orthodox writings, not skill in argument and debate. No, nothing will do but God being in you, in your heart, your heart of hearts. God in Christ dwelling in you, giving you the Spirit. An experimental assurance alone will keep you safe. For as he that is not of God will not hear us who speak as being of God, so he that knoweth God will not hear the false prophets. So the good shepherd himself assures us, He goeth before the sheep, and they follow him. For they know his voice, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and none, and none is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I thought those were good quotes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You and thank You for the effectual working of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of Your children. We don't follow You like we desire. We still falter and make many mistakes. But we continue on after You. The only reason we're still endeavoring to serve You is because of the work in us. You made it clear that He that hath begun a work in You will perform it until the day of Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.